Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This episode of the Self Love Club podcast is brought to you by Amplify Kombucha. Taste amplified. The Self Love Club, a place where boss babes share their stories to empower women. Welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. I'm Val Crawford, and you can find out more about why I've launched this club at valcrawford.com. I'd love for you to join it, and trust me, it's not like a cult or pyramid scheme. It's literally just a club where you can come hang out. It's going to be a fun time. Join me for a podcast series where we'll hear the stories of girl boss women who are doing super cool things with their lives. We'll find out how they've done what they have, their self-love and self-care practices, and they'll share their tips to empower you to live your best life. Sophie Gilmore comes from a strong background of restaurateurs and entrepreneurs. While working as a lawyer, Sophie and her friends decided to start a food business when the lease of an iconic spot was up for grabs. Bird Onawaya was born and after a year and a half, Sophie left her job to continue to build the business up. We're really lucky to have Sophie share her story, lessons, experiences with anxiety, as well as her girl boss advice on the Self Love Club podcast. Sophie, welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Hey, now for those that don't know about you, tell us about yourself, what you do, what you're all about. Um, my name is Sophie and I... <laughs> At the moment, have just been through a bit of a career change, which has been lots of fun. But um, historically, I grew up in Auckland. I went to university in Otago. I studied law and politics. Came back to Auckland, worked as a junior lawyer for about three and a half years. And meanwhile, um, started Bird on a Wire with a few friends. So we were living in Ponsonby and thought it would be cool to add something to our neighbourhood. And um, away we went. So about a year and a half into Bird on a Wire, um, while I was still lawyering, I decided that, well, the business needed someone to step in and I put my hand up and yeah, I spent the next three and a half years at Bird, um, right up until the sale, which was in March last year. And I'm really lucky to say that I loved it right up until the end. And it's funny because I'm literally eating bird on oil for lunch today, <laughs> but I have hardly been in since. It's like this weird ex-boyfriend yeah, that you don't know whether you can talk yeah, to. Yeah, you're like, are we all good? Can we talk? Yeah. Like, can, yeah. I, can I go visit you, you know? Totally. But, yeah, it's, um, yeah just as delicious. And I'm really excited to see what the new owners do with that business because, um, you know, with more cash and resource, I'm sure it can, you know, expand all over New Zealand, which is something that we had talked about. But mm. Never quite had the funds to do. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's the thing. Like with franchising around the country, that must be a huge expense. Huge, yeah. Well, I, th- I guess we did have the option because you can either raise a whole lot of money and do it yourself or you could take on shareholders and funding and do it that way. And we had, um, we were literally 23 when we started and I'm pretty sure that the business idea came about when we were drunk <laughs> and we had... There was a trade me ad for a fish and chip shop in Ponsonby that was called Nina's Takeaways. Very famous 
for the late night crowd. And um, the idea came up, sent to me from a flatmate. And we sort of took it and ran with it. Me and a friend that had um, worked in hospo basically our whole lives. We'd started working front of house um, when we were really young. And um, then, so that was actually my ex-boyfriend. And then there was my current boyfriend, now husband, and his cousin. So it was a cosy team. Yeah. And yeah, away we went. So since we sold Bert, I um, have been, I've set up a consultancy um, to try and sort of help other hospitality businesses not make the same mistakes that we made and to give them all the information that they need to succeed, hopefully, and they don't have to learn the lessons that we did. Yeah. Um, and it's really good. It's going well. Yeah. So you've got quite a few clients on board that you're doing with that, like different businesses you're helping out. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, lots of them are kind of in the same category as birds. So we're working with um, Kelly Press and with Little Bird um, Bakery and with Bowl and Arrow and uh, with Fatima's and with Miss Claudie and the Viaduct. So, yeah, all sorts of things, and it's really varied and really interesting. So starting, you know, you were were practising as a lawyer, and Mm. then so obviously you had a passion for food. You'd grown up around it. It was something you were interested in. And you say that, you know, with a bunch of friends, you had this idea. Was that something you ever thought you'd end up doing? Well, do you know what? It's People say hospitality is in my blood, and that's kind of because my mum had restaurants when we were young. So growing up... Um, my mum owned what was kind of Auckland's first nightclub. This is before I was born, um, and it was called Club Mirage. And I've literally spent my entire life hearing from everyone in that generation about what it was like. And it does sound pretty epic, like Studio 54 wow. kind of vibe. Um, and then she owned restaurants as well. So her most famous and kind of beloved one was called Clichy. Um, and that was um, based around sort of European food. It was Italian and French food, and that was um, – really massive in the 80s in Auckland. It was probably the only one of its kind. And um, I think it was the haunt of all the um, town and town workers. So I guess from my mother, I had a really clear sense of hospitality. Um, And as soon as I was able to, well, I remember her sort of forcing us to learn to cook when we were really young. But as soon as I was able to, I worked um, in restaurants and cafes. So I started working um, in cafes at, you know, Waiheke where we'd go at the weekends and um, in the summertime all through university. In high school, I worked um, at Chibo in Parnell and that was kind of my introduction into um, fine dining. And yeah, you would say that I fell in love with it. It's kind of a an addictive buzz in um, restaurants if you love what you're doing. And then I think that um, my sister actually studied fine arts photography, but she now owns Burger Burger. So somehow we all ended up in the same <laughs> game. It's like regardless of what you're going to go see and dedicate like five or six years of your life to, you'll end up in food. So yeah, yeah, totally. I think it must be in the blood and the business mind as well. Like cause not only, I mean, you've got to have that passion for it, but yeah. then like to have a business, you've got to, I know you can learn that stuff, but you must have had a bit of a business mind. Is that something you think you do have? Yeah. Yeah, look, I think my um, my dad was always quite kind of entrepreneurial and um, we sort of, we have the benefit of, you know, coming from um, enormous support and I think that's a privilege that we don't take for granted, but being told that you can do whatever you want to do 
and and having the confidence to take the leap. I mean, I don't think my mum was that thrilled when mm. I hung up the kind of legal gown and put on the chicken apron. But at the same time, um, you know, being able to take that leap um, when you have not much to lose. So all I really needed was $175 a week to pay my rent, right? So mm-hmm. if everything went south, I think we started Bird on a Wire with a $15,000 loan from our parents and I remember really working hard and pitching for that loan. Um, and I guess at that point, my mum just said, if I don't get paid back, then it's not the end of the world. It's not a million dollars. And so, um, yeah, you have to make it work once you jump into it. And it can be really terrifying and mm. really scary. But I think that um, I was surprised by how much I loved the business side of what I did. And I think that the legal background although I would have hated to admit it until probably quite recently, was quite helpful. Just, um, you know, understanding how to communicate professionally, negotiation, problem solving, and, you know, hospitality in itself is a really good breeding ground for business because it's there's a whole lot of life skills that I remember sort of preaching to our staff saying, you know, you're not just here to wait tables. You're here to learn how to work in a team, how to work under pressure, um, how to talk to people that you don't know, how to fake it, the show must go on sort of thing. Mm. So overall, I think it was, um, I was surprised how much I loved the business part of it. But yeah, I guess I decided to go and work in it full time. So that's what I'm doing now. When you first started Bird in a Wire with this group of friends, what were some of the first sort of lessons you remember learning and the things you had to start being able to do? Um, Oh, we did everything (laughs) wrong, I think. Um, What we did was not pay attention to the financials as far as food costs went. So we just sort of decided what we wanted to serve and then just decided what we'd charge for it. And unfortunately, that model wasn't very See. profitable. I mean, we just saw what we had seen elsewhere and thought, that'd be cool, let's do that. And I mean, at that time, we were the only people in Auckland that were doing free-range chicken, so we were paying yeah. a premium for that. And also we were quite young, and I think we were sort of, when we were pricing things, um, I remember feeling like we sort of just put a wet finger in the air and went, what would our mates want to pay for this? And then that's what we <laughs> charged. So it's honestly just sounds so rookie when you think about it now. But um, yeah, that was one of the lessons we learned for sure. Um, and I think that there's some things that bring really true in business that we learned right from the start, which is about um, just investing in the relationships that you have commercially. So we always fronted talked to, communicated with our suppliers and we had a really good relationship with them. Um, And I think that that was advice that I was given um, in a company of women um, program that I did. And what I thought at the time was that that's kind of an interesting thing to say, but the purpose of it, um, which does get revealed to you ultimately when shit does hit the fan, um, is that people... Are willing to work with you if you're upfront and you're transparent and you're honest and you say we're having a difficult time can I pay you out over the next three weeks or it was just about front footing difficult mm. situations and being honest and I think that um, that was something that really guided what we did and in turn if you do nice things for people we would always support local charities and always support local schools and we would um, you know publicize our suppliers as much as we could And, yeah, just what goes around comes around. So Mm. we had a really nice work environment in terms of all the relationships that we kept and 
same with our staff too. Yeah, I guess that's the thing as well. You know, happy staff is quite important and obviously you need them to do what you need them, what, what you want them to do. But is, was that a big, for you, learning how to manage staff? I guess you'd already worked in hospitality before, so maybe that's something you'd already learned to do. Well, I hadn't because I had only really been in a reasonably junior role. Like mm. I had never, my business partner Ben had managed restaurants before and I think as soon as you're a restaurant manager, you're effectively running a business. But I hadn't done that. I was, you know... When I was working at Kensington Swan in the Viaduct, I was still moonlighting once a week at Ponsonby Road Bistro just because I loved it. But I never had um, responsibility over and above, yeah, the bottom line. So um, learning to be a boss was a massive one, particularly mm. when you're young, particularly when you hire people um, that are your age or even older than you. Um, then there was lots of things that we had to learn about not being – too good of friends with your staff and so it's like that fine balance between arm's length but I've got your back Mm. and um, I think in the end we got there but ultimately what I say to people when they're talking about managing staff is that people really want to be heard and that's a lesson that um, I think is really important is giving people the opportunity to feed back to you on their experience, how the business is going and making sure that you're listening to that feedback because, like you said, the people are really important. Um, there, There is nothing more important in hospitality because you're only going to be as good as your people. Mm. So if you don't invest in the relationships and get it right. And, I mean, it was pretty easy for us. We had some pretty awesome stuff. But, um, yeah, then I think you're really stitching yourself up. Yeah, so being careful not to maybe hire friends too much. Yeah, well, we we had a – I see this going wrong all the time, but we had a pretty positive experience with hiring friends. I think that the nature of um, our personalities, so um, Ben, my business partner, and me, um, we were in the business full-time, and I think that we're really straightforward. And I think about it now when I see him because it's almost like, oh, we're – Friends again. We were always friends, but you have these like different languages that you speak to each other mm. in. So one of them is about work and it's specific and it's direct. And, you know, I never made any apology about the fact that I didn't agree with him because I don't have to and I'm entitled to disagree. And that's why there's two of us here instead mm. of one. But um, yeah, it's, we had some friends come and do some moonlighting for us and they did an epic job. Um, and then ultimately we ended up moving towards finding sort of career hospitality people that wanted to um, learn how to run a business. And so we had a lot to offer them. So yeah. eventually our friends had moved through the ranks and we were serving <laughs> younger people in. Yeah, well, that's the thing as well with hospitality, working in it myself. It can be quite a high turnover. You know, people are study, uh, studying and working yeah. in it while they're studying and they may not stay in it. So, you know, that can be, that must have been quite hard often having a high turnover, mm-hmm. having to replace staff and retrain them all the time when you're already focusing on other things. Yeah, it is because some of the best people are the part-timers and the reason that they're good is because they've got other interesting things happening in their life and we used to really encourage people to bring themselves to work. So, you know, if you're really epic at art, then we want you to write the specials boards and if you're an amazing DJ, then we want you to do the music at our staff party and we tried to allow people to sort of um, express who they are as well at work but... Totally. They move on and they do the next thing, which is, you know what, it's it's to be expected. But also I think that um, New Zealand is kind of missing a beat. I think there's a real opportunity for yeah. young people 
to get into hospitality and make a living for themselves. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you go to other places internationally and, and it is a it is a career. Totally. I mean, it is a career. There's no doubt about it. But in New Zealand, I don't think it's looked at so much as a career. No. Unless you're maybe like yourself owning businesses or whatever. That's not yeah. really it's not really seen as a huge career or anything. Yeah, and I think that um, my sister feels quite passionately about this as well. And so what we ended up trying to do was to create job roles and opportunities that had room for growth in them. And so people would move through the ranks and walk away going, I actually know, I understand how to read a P&L. I know what a balance sheet is. I can um, assess my labour costs every week. I'm pretty good with Microsoft Excel. And so we were kind of upskilling them as they went through the ranks so as they go to the next job they can turn up and say hey here's what I've got to offer Mm. rather than just saying come in and carry that coffee over there. Right yeah so you're giving them the option to upskill and and, and also take on responsibilities within your business which I guess then allowed you to be able to do other things once you could trust them with it. Yeah yeah and to be honest we did different versions of working on the floor and not working on the floor Um, but we decided that the ultimate balance was that we would be there um, I did at least one shift in each shop each week um, right up until the end. And unless you have people that have worked with you for a long time, um, it's difficult, I think, to maintain a staff culture that comes from you unless you're going to be the one to do it. And I always thought that if I wanted to train other people to do something, then I needed to be the best at it. So I made sure that I was the best person on the floor so that, you know, if they needed to call me in, then I could go in and I wouldn't, I always thought it would be awkward if I went in and I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Especially if you're trying to tell them what to do and it's like, mm, she doesn't actually know how to do it herself. Totally. Right? It's always awkward when your boss, does, yeah, I've been in that situation too. What are some of the biggest challenges you faced? And, you know, going into this with a group of mates, it sounds like your business partner and you really were quite switched on. Like, would you have done that differently in terms of all of those people you went into it with or... Um, well, originally, so there were four of us originally, and that was um, my business partner, Ben, who I've spoken about, um, myself, and then David, who's now my husband, and his cousin, Richard. Um, and we ended up realising that we had a pretty strong skill shortage in the actual recipe development side of things. And so uh, we brought in Camille Rope, and at the same time, Richard was kind of looking for an exit because he had to finish um, studying. So... I guess what I would say is if you go into something, you want to make sure that you have complementary skills because as soon as we had Camille on board, we were away. We could do mm. we could do anything. Like she could – she's an amazing cook and she can cook anything from, you know, your everyman's lunch right through to an epic fine dining meal. So we wanted to, like, surround ourselves with people that were almost overqualified for the job. And as soon as we did that, then we were really confident and we could – you know, we grew the catering side of the business because we could, of course, do better catering food than lots of the catering companies around. Or, you know, it just it felt like we had um, endless opportunity. But it, it would be hopeless if you were all good at the same thing. Mm. What were some of the biggest challenges you guys faced on your time with Bird on a Wire? Were there any moments that you like, big lessons you learned? Um, Apart yes. from like the learning about like, like the food and the cost and what you should charge for it and everything. Yeah, a lot of the lessons we learned were quite commercial. One of them was um, to always keep up to date with the IRD. And honestly, I um, look back at this moment where we realised that we were behind paying the IRD and we delegated the management of the cash flow. 
and they sort of came after us and it was just the heaviest stone that mm. you could possibly have on your chest. And there is no stress, um, like business stress, I think, when when there's a lot on the line and we borrowed money from the bank and, you know, we were gung-ho and we were really enthusiastic. And I think that that's something quite cool about being young because mm. the older you get, the more risk-averse you get. So yeah. I'm always saying to young people, I'm just, just do it now. Like all you need is rent money and you've got nothing to lose, you know? Yeah. We never had... Um, houses or, but we did have obligations to the bank and, um, you know, default interest. And if they won't lend you any more money and you need it, you you can be in a, a tight spot. So mm-hmm. um, I think financials was a really big one for us. Um, like we've talked about learning to manage people and to create a really strong team was um, something that we did really well that I'm really proud of because, um, I think without them, we would not have been able to achieve what we did. Yeah. How did you manage to grow it over the years that you had Bird on a Wire? What, did, what sort of things did you do? Um, so when we started, we were a little takeaway shop down um, by KFC on Ponsonby Road or, yeah, between KFC and Fatima's. Um, and we were sort of winging it. And as I said, we weren't running the business. We kind of, I was still working as a lawyer. Ben was working as a management consultant at the time. And we were pretty much um, just leaving the business to be run by sort of young university students that were much less experienced than us even. So um, I think that the way we grew it and one of the big lessons that we learned is that it's not a side hustle. (laughs) Yeah. It's actually just laughable that we thought we'd have this thing that would just make money on the side and we'd just carry on in our careers. Um, So I think there has to be, there is no substitute for hard work. You have to be in the business and you have to roll your sleeves up. And honestly, we worked really hard. And I think it took me at the end of March last year about, you know, six months to come down from what I had developed for myself as my new kind of work ethic, work life. And um, yeah, it's pretty- Just get some balance again because you're probably working in really, really hard and long hours. Yeah, it's really full on. And mm-hmm. then you start, it's basically, a lot of it is probably pressure that you put on yourself. But um, yeah, like you said, I don't I don't know if we could have grown in the way that we did without um, without that. And so we had like- a really great um, customer base right from the start. We had um, a little different iterations of the business model. Like we had a pop-up little tuck shop window in town in Fort Street. And then we had a um, shipping container in Elliott Street in that car park there. And then we had, then we moved our Ponsonby Central, uh, um, Ponsonby site down to Ponsonby Central. And that was sort of, the biggest, boldest move that we made. And we were actually in a meeting with a hospitality accounting consultant at the time. And he was like, do not buy the Ponsonby Central site. It will be the nail in the coffin. And while we were sitting there, we got the text saying that it had happened and it was confirmed. <laughs> so what, what was, well, why did they say not to do it? Well, just because it's financially risky. And, right. and when you buy a house, um, the bank lends you quite a lot of the money. Um, you know, you might have a 10%, 20% deposit. Yeah. Um, in business, the maximum that they will lend is generally 50%. So Ooh. basically it involves you big borrowing and stealing at this point from everyone that you could possibly borrow money from personally. Um, so you would have needed to borrow more money to be in that site. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we paid um, a lot of money just to, for the lease, for the privilege of being in there. Wow. Um, and 
And if I reflect on it now, I think that was the game changer for our business. And that's probably what, um, what allowed it to kick up a gear. And we were nervous about it, but we were up for it. You know, yeah. we sort of said we're ready to play with the big boys, but that's definitely what's going to happen if we go to Ponsonby Central. So it paid off. I mean, obviously it was a lot busier for you, more yeah. clients, you know, that's a busy spot. Totally. It doubled the revenue. So we were just takeaway down the road. We moved into Ponsonby Central. Suddenly we've got table service. We're, tra- we're doing breakfast as well. We're training all these staff that have never done any of that stuff before, how to serve customers, how to meet, greet, seat people. It was, yeah, it was really full on. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, again, a huge risk, but yeah. something which you were told not to do. And then what happened yeah. when you told them, then the text came to or you just not tell I them? Think we just, I don't think we told them. <laughs> I think we just looked at each other and we're like, we better go. Do you think it's worth taking those risks? Do you think sometimes you just got to do it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was saying is that he's way older than us and he's got loads more to lose than we do. So, of course, he's going to say that. Mm. And we're just like, do you know what? Fuck it. We'll make it work. Yeah. We'll, we always basically said, no matter what, we will, um, you know, we'll do what we have to do to make it work. Back yourself. Yeah. Because if you, the worst that can happen is that you lose the business. And I think that the business is, just becomes a lesson at that point. Mm. And everything that you're doing now, I always think is kind of part of the next thing that you're going to do. So it's not lost. It won't be lost. It'll be a massive lesson and it might be a disaster for a few minutes, but whatever. On to the next thing. I remember I actually went to lunch with my mum at Burger Burger when we were probably during our most stressful period. And my temperament is that I'm kind of the same every day. I'm in the same mood. I've got quite a relaxed, calm vibe. Mm. And she must have, obviously, because she's my mother, known that that is not what was going on inside. (laughs) She just just looked at me and I must have just been just I felt, I definitely felt paralyzed by the stress, mm. like really stuck and you become really unproductive with how to get out of it at that point. And I remember her saying, it's just chicken. It's just a business. You know, you could lose this and you won't lose anything. So remember that there are, I think she said at the time, there are children falling off life rafts in Syria. Whoa. You know? <laughs> Way to make it deep, mum. Yeah, yeah. And I was but like, it is perspective, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah, yeah. And that's what I was going to say is that I think if you're young and you can take the risk and, you know, things don't always go well anyway in your normal job. So it's not, yeah, I don't think it's that different. And I think that if you just go, you know, it's, Everything is okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end and you'll figure it out. I'm pretty big on all things self-love and that includes taking care of my health. Now the gut, it's basically our second brain, so we need to take good care of it. Amplify Kombucha have developed delicious kombucha with great flavours. It's also really good for you, containing good bacteria and it's low in sugar. Win-win, right? When I'm heading to the beach this summer, I'm definitely going to be taking a few bottles of Amplify Pineapple Coconut to share with friends while we're relaxing. So good. Try Amplify Kombucha today, you won't regret it. So you got to a point where you guys decided to sell the business. How did that sort of come about? Because obviously you talked about then maybe wanting to move it or you know, move it throughout the country. Yeah. Was that sort of why that you didn't that yeah. you sell it? Um so what happened with us was that because we were so young when we started it, we were kind of just a group of friends that it was never gonna last forever, if yeah. you know what I mean? So um, the business had kind of got to a stage where we had borrowed what we could borrow from the bank. 
And so we were servicing those loans and paying them down. But the the pace that you need to grow in hospitality is a bit faster than the pace that cash flow allows. And so it was really that we would either continue to do what we were doing and wait sort of two years, pay off the loan, do the next site, or do the mega seek lots of investment. And if that was the case, then we'd really need to all be aligned on what was next. And we had a crack at getting aligned on it and we weren't really, and we maybe could have been in the end, but because, so Camille had had her second baby at this point and was on maternity leave, although she never really got proper maternity leave. Yeah, she was leave. still working. I'm like, help. <laughs> um, and then Ben had moved to Sydney because he wasn't needed um, full-time in the business anymore and um, had been encouraged by all of us to follow his heart to Sydney. Um, and so, yeah, it was just me running it full-time with a couple of um, really awesome senior staff and um, the part-time help of those guys. So it was sort of felt like the right time and um, the buyer came forward and, you know, you never get exactly what you want. And I was quite stubborn at first and I think that um, they might have paid a bit more than they wanted, but um, that's what happens in a sale is that everyone mm. is, it's it's like you land on the result that everyone can live yeah. with and no one's, you know, no one feels like they did better than anyone else. So um, they're a really awesome group of people and they were great to deal with. So we sort of, um, from the time that we signed the agreement, we gave them early entry into the business um, rather than doing a handover period after. And so we all worked together and communicated a lot and really well for those few months. And then, yeah, literally walked out the door. Was it a weird feeling? So weird. It's probably like this baby that you'd had and then you had to leave it, you know? Yeah, well, and just weird things. Like I had um, been doing the Bird on a Wire Instagram for like six years, you know, and I was like <laughs> signing out of it. It was like, like a moment. Is, I don't do the Instagram anymore. <laughs> totally. I was like, okay, I'm going to sign out of the Instagram. That's all for this week though. And then the next week and then I'd change over my but on a white email to a new email. Oh. And yeah, it took it definitely took a, a bit of time. Were you happy about it though? Yes. Yeah, we were really, um, it was more like emotional than happy straight away. I felt really proud of what we'd achieved. And um, there was a lot of satisfaction from the fact that we'd been able to repay bank debt. Everyone had walked away with um, some cash. And I mean, that's not easy in hospitality. No, there's so many common. overheads. Yeah. yeah. So we definitely felt like, you know, there's a bit of luck, like, oh, we pulled it off and then there was a bit of um, sadness because we really loved it right up until the end and it was the end of an era. Um, but we went away for a weekend all together to this um, lodge and popped some corks and had some massages and drank some wine and, um, yeah, had a lovely time. Came a- back and thought, okay, ready to move on. And um, while I was doing the social media for Bird, I had come across a cookery school in Ireland called the Ballymaloo Cookery School. Anyway, I followed their Instagram and obviously just had this weird pipe dream that one day I'd go there. And we sold the business and a friend of mine who lives in the UK had talked to me about going to cooking school and she sent it and said, look, they've got a summer five-week program. I think I'm going to go. And I looked at it and I was like, I think I'm going to go too. Well, you might not. You've got the time now. Yeah, yeah. And having, it's kind of a rare opportunity, you know, like no children. Yeah. Um, I had the money to go and I had the time. And so um, 
I managed to convince Camille to come along too. Oh, cool. Because yeah. it's not often that you get, whether it be between jobs or any time, you don't usually have that amount of time off ever, do you, really? No, no. And it was, um, it's on a like 100 acre organic farm wow. in the middle of the country in Ireland. And um, it had almost a retreat like effect on us. It you was, probably needed that after running a, a business so intensely, you know, being yeah. so involved and having to do so much that you probably needed some form of retreat and yeah. happened to be a food sort of thing as well. Totally. And I think that it um, it was sort of like an adrenaline come down, you know. I'd just been on the go for so long yeah. that when I was there, I had all these plans about what I was, I was like, when I'm there, the penny will drop and I'll know what I'm going to do next. And honestly, as soon as I got there, I just – unwound. Just before I left, I had a few people say, you know, I heard you guys sold Bird. I'm interested in growing my business. I'm interested in having a coffee with you and hearing about X, Y, Z. And I'd kind of, I'd started doing that. Right. So as soon as I got home, um, basically the phone started ringing and people saying, can we pick up the consultancy? Can we carry on with what we're doing? And I'm thinking, yes, but I was supposed to work out how to structure it and you know, productize it properly while I was away. And I think I was just too busy you having a nice a time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I did just carry on until the end of last year, just charging for my time and um, seeing where I can um, add value to other hospitality businesses. And um, when I came back after we had a break in Wanaka over New Year, came back and set up um, a couple of packages that um, we're now rolling out through a few hospitality businesses and um yeah it's going really well I had to think quite long and hard about whether I would want to do what I want to do next and whether Mm. I would want to do it on my own and I just think that's not my nature I don't I like doing things by consensus and I sort of thrive on teamwork and when I I think I learned the lesson like when I left um Kensington Swan which is quite a big law firm and went and worked as a junior barrister um, I was kind of in my room, my work room, by myself, researching, drafting submissions, and it was kind of solitary. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's not suited to me, and it is to some people, and that's awesome. But I think that um, as soon as I got back, I was like, right, people. who can we get going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, I've got a really um, great group of three people that will work um, in delicious business with me, and then – Additional to that, there's a whole lot of contractors that are quite keen for work. And so I can be in the position now to farm out some, you know, photography work or some staff training or whatever it is um, to the people that are like specialising in those areas. And that could be across the country as well. And I mean, it doesn't just mean it has yeah. to be in New Zealand, it could be internationally. Yeah. As well. And I think I'm going to have to sort of block it out in the diary. But ultimately, I'd quite like to um, have a sort of product that you can. Yeah, you can do with people online mm. and that you can sell online or that you can, um, you know, we can go around face-to-face. But um, I want to create something that makes it really easy for people to see whether they're making money, um, if they don't know that, and if they're not, then to ask themselves why and to figure it out. Now, obviously, food is, you know, as you say, you've already said it was like a mindfulness thing going on. That re- It was like a retreat for mm. you. So what are some of your other self-care practices, whether it's taking time to make food or to know you enjoy your time with your friends? What are some other things you do and maybe you learn to do during your busy time with Bird on a Wire so that you're able to function properly? Um, 
This is quite an interesting one for me because, like I said, my um, temperament is really even. So sometimes I remember, so I first got anxiety when I was 23-ish and we'd just started bird and I was working really hard at a law firm and I didn't know what the feeling was. And because I'm so kind of, I'm called the only sane person in my family. You're pretty calm. <laughs> but yeah. because I'm like that, I didn't realise what the feeling was. And so um, anxiety has been quite a big lesson for me. And um, a lot of it stems from the pressure that I put on myself and all of the things that people say is mm. what you do. You just overload your to-do list and beat yourself up for the things you didn't do. And um, I did quite a lot to try and um, work out what it is that works for me. And I think that interestingly, um, although the drinking yoga and meditating and drinking yoga, I mean drinking green smoothies and going to yoga, um, is famously um, an antidote. For me, it didn't necessarily work. And I think that because I'm um, an extroverted personality that I get quite a lot. If you think about what you need and – when you're anxious, you've kind of lost perspective potentially. Yeah. Um, I get a lot of what fills me up is a really great conversation with a friend mm. or it can be a big night out or it can be a quiet day with my family. But, um, and, and I try and do yoga and um, I did a really great mindfulness course with um, Christina from the Kindness Institute Um well, this is sort of in the middle of the bird stuff. And all of those things have taught me quite a lot. And ultimately, I think um, not being afraid of anxiety is kind of um, a lesson that I've learned and not trying to eliminate it from your life. Yeah. I think that if you rephrase it as, you know, excitement or trepidation or um, any of the other things that those feelings represent, then that can be really helpful as well. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think that since I went to Ballymaloe, I had a really nice sense of um, slow and of calm. And my mum's always telling me to slow down and calm down, but you don't listen really when it comes from family sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that when I catch myself picking up my phone and flicking through social media aimlessly – um, that I it need- never makes you feel good, does it? Like no, I, it make it actually kind oh, of makes it? my heart race. I think. Yeah, no, same. And it can make you feel really. Yeah, it just makes you feel strange. I don't know why. It's got some sort of physical effect on us. Yeah, and I don't get the thing that other people get, where it's like you compare yourself, yeah. your life to other people's lives, and everyone's affected by it quite differently. But um, yeah, for me, it's sort of like it's it's like it's I an electrical feeling, pulse, yeah. and it just keeps moving quite fast through your body when you're on your phone. I think it's just being overstimulated, maybe because you already would have been pretty stimulated from all of your work as well. Yeah, you know, especially hospital is very stimulating. To and work being in. in business is like really, it's really consuming, and so your brain becomes quite busy. So mm. even if you're not a person that's already got a really busy brain, I think it would prove pretty tricky to turn it off. Yeah. How did your anxiety affect you on a daily basis when you were managing and, you know, running your business? Um, I think at its worst, I can tell when it's really bad when I become tearful. Mm. And for me, I'm not, um, I'm normally quite rational and reasonable. And I think I can become irrational (laughs) and unreasonable and tearful. And then Mm. I have to sort of go, whoa, this is not even me. So I'm now letting this take over. Um, And I, I think that, if 
you accept, like I said, that you might be prone to it, um, that what I managed to do was just learn to live with it. And by no means do I have um, really severe um, anxiety disorder or anything, and I don't want to, you know, take away from the people that do. But for me, I never had panic attacks and I never have no anxiety, but I always have a base level of it. Mm. And so it's... um, it's no, never, there's no judgment. Everyone's got different degrees and levels of it, and yeah. n- not one's better or worse than the other. Like it's anxiety, and it's it can be really hard to live with. You know, like it, it's hard for everyone. Yeah, it's a really, really horrible feeling. I think, and um, yeah. So I, I just um, did the old accept it and move on. And I keep over over the course of paying attention to it, you get to know yourself mm. quite well, and so I think you can feel it when it's building. And you know that if your base level's high, that something could, you know, tip you into a zone that you don't want to be in. So you have to sort of bring it back. But honestly, all the physical things that people tell you to do are so truthful, like the just diaphragmatic breathing. Oh, yeah. If you can stop yourself and do 10 massive diaphragmatic breaths, then you're winning. And I I, th- I thought that um, meditation would be extremely difficult. But after the course that I did um, – if it's just discipline like anything else. Yeah. So it does seem crazy. And at the moment I'm actually not in the habit of um, doing it properly. But when I was, I could do 20 minutes of unguided meditation wow, that's every a morning huge skill. without even, honestly, without even trying. Wow. And and you do, you know, everyone that works in a high-pressure environment says it makes a really big difference. So oh, yeah, definitely Maybe I'm going to get back into that after yeah. this conversation. What's some advice you can give to people who maybe want to start a business or they've got an idea with something and they're sort of – maybe it's a side hustle for them or they're just sort of playing around with the idea. What would your advice to them be? Um, I'd say learn about the industry, but ultimately I'd say just do it because if you muck around coming up with – business plans and we've all got friends like this that say oh you know I once thought I'd start a chicken chop <laughs> and you're like did you know <laughs> did you really <laughs> you know so I think if you if you there's people that will just spend time thinking and overthinking and planning and over planning and your business plan is not really relevant anymore once you start because you have to be flexible so ultimately I'd say you know don't make sure you've got a base level understanding of what's Mm. on the line, but then just do it. Yeah, don't yeah. think about it too much. Obviously, like, know what you're doing, but yeah. just do it. And and I think be prepared to work really hard is another one. And when I think about how hard we worked at Bird, I loved it right up until the end. So I honestly don't think that it ever really felt like a massive, you know, there were times when it felt like this is a pain or my friends are away and I'm working there wasn't a lot of those. More mm. often you get a lot from it and it gives you, um, yeah, it just opens a whole lot of doors. And having a business to kind of use as a vehicle for your values is amazing because yeah. the impact that you can have as a business is quite a lot more than you can have as an individual. So when we decided to aim to be zero waste, for example, we would just, you know, went from when we worked out the, impact that we were having environmentally and the one that we were able to have if we were really sustainable it was awesome yeah and we always you know we always wanted to look after our people and we had people referring their friends and their friends and their friends and people staff coming back to work for us every year so 
Yeah, I think I think just do it because there's so much to be gained. Is it quite hard running a business, uh, you know, like having zero waste or, or working towards having less waste? Is yeah. that a hard thing to do? Yeah, it's well, it's expensive. Mm. Yeah, so it's very difficult to absorb. Well, you're um, already free cost. range as well, you know, like yeah. so that's an extra cost on top of other places that aren't free range. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that was always our our difficulty was that we wanted to be affordable for um, our customer base, but we also wanted to um, sort of over deliver. So we wanted the food to be really epic and mm. we wanted all of the quality of that to be amazing. And then we wanted to be really sustainable and then we wanted to treat our people well. And part of that is paying them well. And then, you know, we wanted to contribute to the neighbourhood and we wanted to give to all the donations and do all of the um, charity things that we were asked to do. And so you are being you're being pulled in a lot of directions. Mm. And, you know, I don't think that I could say anything that would, um, you know, help someone find where they land on all that stuff because you just have to sort of go through it and you learn to say no and then you learn what works best and then you learn how to prioritize and be yeah the best that you can be within the constraints of what's profitable what would be some tips that you would give on potentially being more sustainable like whether it be in a business or just day-to-day life as well you know how can people do that um so i'd say that compostables are um the way forward and if if people so auckland council i know are doing um domestic compost pickup as of next year um, I know that it's too much and too hard for lots of people to have a compost bin at home, so that's really wicked that that's happening. But I would say, um, first and foremost, if you're getting served a coffee in a compostable cup and you go back to work and there isn't a compost bin to put it in, it's actually hopeless, and that mm. cafe has gone to the effort to pay more for something that they want to contribute. So ask your boss, ask your office. There should be compost bins practically everywhere. What would be advice you'd give to younger Sophie before she started out on this journey with Bird? Ooh. Maybe on the self-love, self-care front, I'd say um, stop exercising as punishment. Right. (laughs) Like exercise um, for yourself because um, it's good. It feels good to feel strong and to feel fit, and that's important for the inner workings of your body just as much as it is for what you look on the outside. And I think mm. I sort of for so long just exercised because I thought that I needed to to lose weight. And it's such a shame because, um, I mean, I'm definitely not winning the body positivity contest. But recently I've just thought, do you know what? I'm strong and I'm fit. And I think that that makes me feel good. And I'm mm. doing nice things for my body that does a lot for me. And at the end of the day, no one really cares what you look like. <laughs> Yeah. So go to yoga and I just do, at the moment I just do really varied exercise. So I go to boxing twice a week, I run once a week, I go to yoga once a week and um, I use the weekends to just relax and, you know, go for a walk. Yeah. Do you think that you, you know, you say that you used to punish yourself with the exercise? I think a lot of us have done that. Like it's like, you know, you, know, you need to run because, you know. Yeah. And then you just don't really enjoy it the same. Is that something you think you did? Is that a journey you went on with self-love and self-care, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I've read I've read quite a lot. I had a sort of a couple of years ago my metabolism pretty much just stopped and I put on weight and I was kind of embarrassed about the impact that it had on me and it made me feel really bad about myself mm. and I just you you make of it more than it is and 
I think that if you let that get in the way of who you are and where you go and what you do and, you know, it's it's a real waste of time. And, oh, yeah. And I think I read stuff at the time that was all about, um, you know, about mindful eating and like listening to what your body actually wants and then giving it that and not thinking, oh, you know, I had pasta for dinner, so I'm now a bad person. Mm. All of those things oh, that I rubbish, think it's a girl it? thing, but right from – Right from quite young. I mean, even though we all know as well that you can't exercise weight off really, like unless you're a professional athlete. Yeah. Like 80% of it is what goes in your mouth. Yeah. I love a glass of wine. Yeah. A little bit too much to be giving it up completely, you know. So, um, yeah, it's that thing that people say about in your in your 20s, you just kind of doubt yourself the whole time. And then um, apparently your 30s, you just start to feel better about all of that. And I do. I'm just like, do you know what? I'm – and I'm strong and I have a really wonderful husband and I love my friends and family and I'm really, really lucky. So better to enjoy that than to worry about things that you don't have. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. Please subscribe for more episodes and catch up on eps you may have missed. One thing that really helps is leaving reviews and sharing the self-love club with your friends and on your Instagram stories. It means I can keep doing this uh, and also we can spread the self-love message to others who may really need it. To keep up with the self-love club, find me at Belle Crawford and at self-love club podcast on Instagram. Plus, check out my website, bellecrawford.com for the self-love club resources and blog posts. A big thanks to our audio engineer, Nick Baldwin. We've got heaps of boss babes coming up to empower you through the rest of the year with weekly episodes available each Monday. Catch you soon, babes. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.